We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, if you're new with us, as we uh, find ourselves here in the text following the Nativity uh, text that we read on Christmas Eve, this passage about Simeon and Anna. It's a wonderful text. I've been looking forward to this uh, for some time now. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help as we look at it. Father, what a joy it is to sing the good news, not only that Christ was born, but that he was crucified for us, bringing atonement, and rose from the dead. We know that Christmas is good news because Easter is true, and the purpose of Christmas is Easter. And as we ponder the wonderful salvation we have in Jesus Christ tonight, this morning rather, I pray that you would fill our hearts afresh with your peace and your joy as we consider these two uh, faithful figures who responded appropriately to Jesus. May we follow in their way, we pray in Christ's good name. Amen. So this is the fourth song of the incarnation that Luke uh, lays out for us in uh, the opening two chapters. We looked at the Magnificat, the song from Mary. We looked at the Benedictus, the song from Zechariah. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we uh, highlighted the Gloria, the song of the multitude uh, at the birth of Christ. And now we look at Nuke Dimittis. This one has my favorite title. It comes from uh, the opening line in Simeon's song, Now let your servant depart in peace, these Latin titles. It means essentially now dismiss or now you are dismissing. Nuke Dimittis. You could just call the song now dismiss, but it doesn't have the same ring, does it? Kind of like calling us, uh, you know, image of God Baptist church. Uh, It just doesn't have the same ring to it. Nuke Dimittis. I used to love the words from the teacher, class dismissed. Those are my favorite words, I think. But here we have another dismissal that has far more weight and significance. And this text shows us what we all need before we dismiss this life. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Simeon is thanking God for being able to live long enough to see the Messiah. He says right in the middle of that song there, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation is in a person. That reminded me of Exodus 14 when Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. And all of the salvations that the Lord accomplished on behalf of Israel in the Old Testament point ahead to this ultimate salvation that we see in Christ Jesus. He sees the salvation of God when he sees Jesus. I don't know if you've ever said to someone or to yourself, what a sight when beholding something beautiful or extremely special. Maybe uh, when your baby was born or especially if you were uh, not expecting or didn't know if you could have a child and all that anticipation and then the child is born and you marvel. Or seeing something beautiful in creation like dolphins jumping in the ocean. Or your first in-person baseball game. I'll never forget 1984, walking into Detroit Tiger Stadium, the first time I'd ever seen a professional baseball game, and just being glued to this field. How majestic it was. It was, it was quite heavenly. Or, or perhaps seeing your bride walk down the aisle. Me and my bride celebrate 18 years tomorrow. And I remember not only her walking down the wall, I appreciate that, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, even at the rehearsal, I was all choked up, uh, not to mention the wedding. Or maybe you got a, a new gift yesterday, 
and you just couldn't stop looking at it. I got a new lawnmower. I'm so excited about it. It's a beaut. You should see it. You just, you just marvel at these, these, these things, right? Simeon sees Jesus Christ. What a sight. And he has the spiritual discernment to recognize him as the Messiah. And that is key, isn't it? Because a lot of people saw Jesus, but they did not see in Jesus the Messiah. And we today, as Christians, we see Christ with the eyes of faith. And Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, saying in chapter 1, May the eyes of your heart be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which you have been called, and so on. That, that you would grow in your understanding of Christ, to know all of the benefits that are yours because of him. And while we see him now with the eyes of faith, we look forward to one day seeing him as he is in all of his glory, when our faith will end in sight. And then all of our sorrow will give rise to joy. A joy that will be so great when we see him, it will make our sorrows seem light and momentary. We can really identify with this guy. What a sight as he beholds Jesus. But Simeon is not the only figure in this story, is he? At the end of the text we just read, we meet another figure, and her name is Anna. She is advanced in years. And she also praises God because of the arrival of the Messiah. Now, we're not given uh, Simeon's age, but the text suggests, I think, as one who's ready to die, that he was also advanced in years. And so it's like Luke in chapters 1 and 2 has packed every age and stage of life into these two chapters. There's someone for everyone to identify with. The Savior is for everyone. And these two senior saints that we meet here in chapter 2 call to mind this particular psalm for me, Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's the image I get when I read this text of these two pious servants of God being planted in the house of the Lord, still bearing fruit in old age. A wonderful example for all of us, right? And they also call to mind passages like Psalm 130 as the psalmist says, my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. That was that great messianic expectation that we see here in this text as they're watching for the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the full redemption that the Messiah will bring. And so we have here in, in Luke chapter 2, once again, this theme of salvation. As I noted, it is a mega theme in Luke's gospel, and here we, we find several important truths related to salvation, and that should come no, as no surprise, because that's what it means for the messianic age to dawn. The Savior has come. Simeon holds the Savior in his arms, and he knows not only that Jesus has come to pierce his mother's soul. From Simeon and Anna, I want to point out briefly six aspects of salvation that should cause us to rejoice with them. But first, let's look at this context of verses 22 to 24. See how, how eager they are. 
They are to follow um, God's law. We didn't read it, but uh, verse 21 speaks of uh, uh, Jesus' circumcision uh, at the end of eight days. They're following the, the letter of the law to a T. In verse 22, we read uh, further about, uh, in, in 23 and 4, how they um, uh, are obeying everything that was said about the firstborn child, uh, everything about uh, the law of purification, and so on. And then at the end of the text, <clears throat> in verses 39 uh, to 40, uh, Luke again speaks of their obedience to the law. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we go from Galilee to Jerusalem in the temple, and then back to Galilee. Caesar's authority had taken them to Bethlehem for the census, but it's the law's authority, God's law, that sends them to the temple. <clears throat> And we have here an illustration of what Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. We have an immediate snapshot of the perfect obedience of the son. And God, in his wisdom, put him into this, this pious family that obeys what uh, Moses said. Why is it that they go to the temple? Two reasons. One is for purification and the other is for presentation. For purification, according to the law of Moses, a woman who gave birth to a son was unclean for 40 days. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 12, verses one to four. And when the time was up, she was required to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering, but they don't bring a lamb in this story because they can't afford one. And so they bring these two young pigeons, which Leviticus also says was acceptable. And this is a sign, another sign of the poverty in which Jesus was born. Another sign of the humility of the incarnation. His parents can't offer a lamb, they can only offer these, these young pigeons. And the other reason for coming into the temple was for uh, a presentation. This too was tied to the law. You can see this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, where Moses says that uh, God had the, has the right to the firstborn of all uh, in Israel. Even though the parents were still the, uh, the parents of the child, that this child was to be presented, dedicated, as it were, to the Lord. And as we know, Jesus will be set apart in a very unique way. His whole life would be, uh, be consecrated unto his Father. <clears throat> Jesus would live his whole life in obedience to God's will for our salvation. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. <clears throat> so when Jesus is here presented in this temple for purification <clears throat> and for presentation, there are two pious saints who are awaiting his arrival. Simeon, a man of faith, and Anna, a woman of prayer. And now I want to, in this text, enumerate six truths related to the salvation that we see in it. Beginning verse 25, salvation, number one, and fulfillment. We read of Simeon in verse 25, something of his character. He's righteous and devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, we read, <coughs> excuse me, was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know much about Simeon's background. He could have been a priest, but we are told about his character. He's righteous, he's devout. 
and he is a man waiting for the coming of Jesus. Or as Luke writes it, he's waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. <clears throat> One of the descriptions that rabbis had during this period of time for the Messiah was that of the comforter. And that comes out of Isaiah chapter 40, where the prophet says, Comfort, comfort my people, says uh, your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended and her iniquity is pardoned. Now we know the Holy Spirit is called the comforter in, in John's gospel. Why would it be said of the Messiah that he would be a comforter? Well, he's coming to bring comfort because of all the suffering that God's people had endured throughout the years. And now we who are living in between the comings of Christ long for his second coming where he will truly bring full comfort. Simeon is waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, the comforter. We see that the Holy Spirit is upon him. This is now 10 times uh, in two chapters that Luke has mentioned the Holy Spirit. This is a new era. It's a new age. With the Messianic age is the Spirit's uh, uh, unleashing of, of power being upon not just mediators and leaders as in the Old Covenant, but upon all of God's people. Simeon here is waiting on this Messianic age to dawn. He's waiting on God to fulfill his promises. That's why he says down in verse 29, <clears throat> you've let your servant depart in peace according to your word. So all the types and all the shadows and all the illusions are being fulfilled in this moment as Jesus Christ is presented, as Simeon takes up Christ. And we know that the whole Bible speaks of our Christ, right? As Luther put it well, the Bible is the cradle wherein the Christ is laid. If we want to see Christ, we open the book. And Simeon is waiting on this. He has his own little bucket list, doesn't he? Right? He has a special promise given to him in verse 26 that one day he would see the Messiah with his own eyes. So sometimes older folks, and not only older folks, but I guess everybody has these bucket lists. You've ever seen those articles? A hundred places to see before you die. And you get all discouraged because you might see two, right? <clears throat> and um, there, movies are made about the, the famous bucket lists. I recall reading, I think George Bush Sr. was 90 and he wanted to go skydiving. I think he went skydiving at 90. This is, this is Simeon's, he's got one thing on the bucket list. He wants to see the Messiah. And now you and I, as people of faith, we wait on the return of Messiah. We wait to see the Messiah. You may wonder how many times Simeon walked into Jerusalem. He walked around the temple wondering, is this going to be the day? You can imagine him watching parents as they would present their children in the temple. Is this the Christ child? <coughs> and then one day, in the outer courtyard, verse 27 and 8, it happened. As we read here, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Some traditions call him Theodoches, God receiver. He's the one who received Jesus. He had never held anything or anyone like this. Never seen anything or anyone like this. And what the angel said to the shepherds essentially could be said to Simeon. Unto you is born the Savior. And you know what, church? That could also be said of us. 
unto you is born. This day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, unto you. You may not receive all that you've ever wanted in this life. You may not have received all that you wanted at Christmas yesterday. But unto you is born a child, the Savior. And Simeon takes him up. And as a result, he responds with song. And he responds in song in the second person rather than the third person, like the Magnificat and the Benedictus. You can see his, his language, the you and the your. This is a, a very a personal song that Simeon sings. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So he sings of this fulfillment. Secondly, we see here this theme of peace, salvation and peace. <clears throat> now you're letting your servant depart in peace. While this experience of Simeon is unique, it is something that we hold in common with him. All who trust in Christ can die in peace. I don't know of a, a really a more relevant topic <laughs> for us to think about than not a fun topic always, but death. Because we're speaking to everyone, aren't we? How do you plan on dying in peace? What must you do in order to die in peace? Simeon shows us here. You're letting your servant depart in peace because he had finally seen the prince of peace. The child in his arms was the savior. He had been like this watchman who cannot leave his post until the event is over. Now the event had come to pass. He had been watching and watching and watching and now he sees. And my friends, Jesus is the one you need before you depart. He's the one I need before I depart. Anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die. Those who trust in him. <clears throat> Anyone who has not is not prepared to die. And so it begs the question, right? Have you placed your faith in Jesus to be your savior so that when your time comes, you can die in peace and be raised in power when he comes again. You can go and be with Christ. You can say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes on to say, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That's why we could speak optimistically at a, a saint's funeral, right? Because to depart is to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul uses a nautical term there of a boat going off, being cut loose from, from uh, the ropes and setting sail. One day you and I will depart. And what we've done with Christ in this life will make all the difference whether or not we look at that positively or with dread. We can wake up and see our Christ. You can die in peace when you know the Prince of Peace. And so that's what Simeon teaches us, the second truth here on salvation and peace. Thirdly, notice salvation in the nations, verses 30 to 32. There's something here of the simplicity of salvation that Simeon teaches us, but then he teaches us about the scope of salvation. <clears throat> the simplicity is noted simply in verse 30 as he describes Jesus 
for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a really clear verse that salvation is about knowing a person. It's about the Savior, right? Like becoming a Christian is not primarily taking on a code of conduct. It's about knowing a person. He calls Jesus the salvation of God. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. And so that's the simplicity of Jesus, or simplicity of salvation that he teaches us. I recall reading a book uh, not long ago, uh, and it had a striking illustration of a, uh, of a uh, guest speaker that goes into a college, and he goes to the whiteboard, and he says, now I want you guys, I, I want us to think together about Christianity. What is it that summarizes Christianity? And I'm going to leave out one key element. And when we get done writing on the board, I want you to see um, uh, you know, if you can identify what's missing. And so he starts writing on the board, and he writes morality, he writes sin, he writes uh, repentance, he writes death, he writes uh, be faithful to your spouse, uh, the importance of reading the Bible, prayer, attending church. He writes all these things on the board, and then he says, okay, what am I leaving out? And one by one, students start guessing, and no one recognized that he did not put the word Jesus on the whiteboard. <laughs> if I might suggest something that's very elementary, Christianity is about Christ, right? <laughs> Simeon says something here of the great simplicity of our faith. My eyes have seen your salvation. To have salvation means you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have salvation. You can have all kinds of religion, but you don't have salvation. Now, notice the scope of this salvation. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is the word from which we get the word ethnicities from. The ethnes, all the people groups, all the ethnic groups. That this Savior has come. He is a glory for the people of Israel. He's the one that they've been hoping in and waiting for. But salvation is not confined to Israel. Simeon here knows that the gospel is global. It's for all the peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. This is an echo of Isaiah, like Isaiah 49, verse 6. Speaking of the servant, Jesus who would come, who would be a light to the nations. So Simeon's song is a missionary song. And in each of these songs, as they unfold in Luke 1 and 2, things keep getting added to the, to, to the hymn book. And here is a great song that speaks about the international need, the global need, and the global responsibility that we have of preaching the simplicity of Christ to the world. When uh, Paul speaks before Agrippa, he takes up this same idea from Isaiah 49, verse 6, saying that the Lord commissioned him to proclaim light, both to our people, he says, and to the Gentiles. Jesus is the Savior of the nations. We do not worship a tribal deity, but the Lord of every tribe, people, language, and nation. Amen. Simeon recognizes that this baby, not only in him is salvation for his own soul, not only is he the glory of Israel, but he's the hope of the whole world. Fourth theme here is salvation and sacrifice. Verses 20, or 33 to 35. Mary and Joseph are astonished at the thought of their child. As Simeon is saying these things, as it says, they marveled about him. <clears throat> these two poor peasants, 
This is their child. This is what can be said of him. But then Simeon says something else. And he says something else in verses 34 and 5. When he blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, <clears throat> so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now this is not a very well-known statement in uh, the early chapters of Luke and in the early story of Jesus' life. You kind of th- you know, thumb your way through these opening chapters and you can almost think of a Christmas carol for, for every, every passage. But I, I'm sure someone has, but I've never heard this bit ever put to music. That a sword is going to pierce through Mary's soul. But we should be thinking on it and writing poetry about it and singing about it because this is the real meaning of Christmas. Christmas is not good news without the cross and the resurrection. And usually our Christmas celebrations focus on kindness and peace, and, and rightly so, but there's more to it than that. This is a child that was born to die, a child that was born to be crucified. And this is the first hint now in Luke's gospel of this cross. Jesus would bring peace, but it would come through sacrifice. It would come through blood. The ancient promise of Genesis 3.15 that one would crush the head of the serpent is being told here by Simeon. The whole sacrificial system paved the way for this once and for all sacrifice. Jesus would go under the sword and be cut off from the land of the living that he might atone for our sins and bring us peace with God. So far, the the songs, the Magnificat and the Benedictus have highlighted Jesus' majesty, his kingdom, his might, his mercy, but now we see in this song what kind of Savior and Messiah he will be. He will be a suffering Messiah. He will be, verse 34, opposed. People will despise and reject Jesus. In the end, they will yell, crucify him, before he is taken to the cross. And this sacrifice, Simeon says to Mary, will pierce through your own soul. She is known in some traditions as Mater Dolorosa, the mother of sorrows. And we know that in John 19, she is at the cross witnessing her son's crucifixion. And God is preparing Mary early on here for what is about to come. She rejoices at the birth of Jesus, as we've already looked at, but now she's struck by another emotion, grief. The most honored lady in history will experience pain. She would eventually find herself at the foot of the cross, a piercing to her own soul. And so Jesus' crucifixion was not something that should have been a total surprise because it had been foretold in the prophets and now it is being foretold by Simeon. This is how salvation would happen. The Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world through his death on a cross. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It cost Jesus his life and his death. Salvation and sacrifice. But there's more in these verses we just read. There's salvation, fifthly, and judgment. Not everyone has the eyes to see this salvation. Notice how Simeon speaks of the people, of people falling and rising. There is no universalism in Simeon's theology. 
Like he doesn't think, well, in the end, God's just going to say, oh, y'all, come on in. No, Jesus actually brings division. He is the one who is set for the falling and rising of many in Israel. He himself is a sign. Here's a sign that God's promises are coming true. It's in, his, in the fact that he's there as a baby. And this baby will be both magnetic and divisive. This Savior will have some people drawn to him, but some people will oppose him. I don't have to tell you guys that not everyone's into Jesus. <laughs> Jesus causes conflict. And not everyone likes Jesus' people. If you follow this child that's in this manger, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. Some not only today reject the Christian message, but they see it as a threat to the social order. It's the world in which we live. So we have, as Christians, a very unique experience here. On the one hand, coming to Jesus means that we should be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called sons of God. But on the other hand, coming to Jesus will bring, inevitably, conflict. You will know the sweetness, in some cases, of peacemaking and reconciliation, but you will also know, as a faithful Christian, the heartbreak of opposition. Opposition, because the message of the cross does that. We kind of live like the psalmist when the psalmist says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Jesus does this. Not everyone's into Jesus. Not everyone likes Jesus' people. Nevertheless, Simeon highlights the fact that what you do with Jesus Christ determines your eternal destiny. Some are drawn magnetically to Jesus. Others oppose him. And if you're not a Christian, you should realize that God is kind in revealing this truth to you. And the wise thing to do is to trust him, embrace him. Jesus is not just Savior, he is also judge. Notice, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus came to expose what's in our hearts. Think about that. If we humble ourselves in repentance over our sin and see our need for grace, he will save us and eventually raise us into heavenly glory. But if we don't respond rightly in our hearts then we face terrifying judgment. Some remain, as Mary said in her song, proud in their hearts, seeing no need for Christ. He sent the rich away empty, remember that? He's revealing what's in their hearts. Some today are actually offended at the idea that Jesus is the way of salvation. Their heart is being revealed. So re religious legalists don't like Jesus eating with sinners because they don't want God to be gracious. The ethically immoral don't like Jesus speaking about sin and hell because they don't want God to be righteous. Modernists don't like miracles because they don't want the supernatural. Postmodernists don't like Jesus because he's saying he's the only way of salvation and they don't want God to be exclusive. Jesus reveals what's in our hearts. And the best thing to do is to see him for as he is presented in all of his, his glorious characteristics in the Gospels and worship him and follow him. So what do you see? That's what this text puts upon us. What do you see when you see Christ? Do you see him as Simeon sees him? As the psalmist says, the stone that the builders rejected for some has become the cornerstone. Do you reject him or do you see him that which, which gives everything you need to your life? 
and to your eternal destination. You're for him or against him. Simeon says Jesus comes, some fall, some rise. There is no neutral position to Jesus. Will you rise or will you fall? Jesus is the great divide. As Daryl Bach said, the great commentator, he is the litmus test for where one is. Where are you? It depends on where you're at with him. Finally, number six, salvation and worship-motivated witness. We find this in the story now of Anna, just a few verses on her in verse 36. We read that she is a prophetess, which is a rare title in the Bible, a lady who spoke God's word. She is a widow, and she had only seen seven years of marriage. Now, the text is, is somewhat difficult, um, and it's translated in different ways. You'll see your footnote if you have an ESV. As the ESV translates this, that she was a widow until she was 84. Um, now, but it, it can be rendered that her widowhood lasted 84 years, and if she was married around 20 or, or, or probably a little bit younger than that, we're talking about a lady who's 105 or so. I think this is the way the NIV would translate it. Either way, she's 105 or she's 84. I think it's fair to say she's advanced in years, right? <laughs> um, and what the text highlights is her undivided devotion to the Lord. She is a worshiper. We read of her praying, fasting. She represents what Mary said in her song that the Lord fills the spiritually hungry with good things. She was hungry, and the Lord fed her with good things. In verse 38, as she saw Simeon take Jesus in his arms, she also recognizes Jesus as the Redeemer. And notice her response. She gives thanks to God, verse 38, and then speaks of him to all who are awaiting this redemption. This twofold response is also very simple, but it's a twofold response that we as Christians never get over. We never outgrow. What do we do today in light of the fact that we have seen the salvation of God in Jesus? We give thanks to God and we tell everyone about him. What a beautiful, simple picture of faithfulness, right? All of us can do this. What do we do today? Give thanks to God. He sent redemption in Jesus Christ. And we go about telling everyone about him. I call it worship-motivated witness because her, her witness, her, her talking to everyone else, is motivated by her, her worship. Her worship fuels her witness. And that's how it works for us, right? You've heard it said before, I'm sure, we talk about that which we love. Why is it that this faithful saint is talking about the Lord Jesus? She loves him. She thanks God. She, she, out of the overflow of her heart, she speaks. How many of you this year have went to a new restaurant and you had to tell someone about it? Or you watched a new television show? So many Ted Lasso evangelists this year. You've got to watch this. Or you got a new car. Or maybe you got engaged. A new album comes out. Your, big, your team won the big game. A trip you have upcoming you can't wait to go on. You talk about that which is in your heart. And Anna here goes about telling everyone about this redemption because she treasures this in her heart. So the Savior has come. Simeon and Anna have eyes to see him, and so should we. 
This salvation is about fulfillment. Jesus has fulfilled these Old Testament promises. This salvation brings peace. We can die in peace when we know Jesus. This salvation is for the nations. It's not confined to one little demographic. This salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It involves sacrifice. This salvation is not received by everyone. And unfortunately, those who do not respond in faith to Jesus will face his judgment. But this salvation leads many to worship and witness. And I pray that would be the case in our lives. Pray that you would know this peace today. And as you know him, you would give thanks to God. And let's, in 2022, tell people about him. Let's tell people about him until we see him. And then on that day, we'll be glad we were faithful to him. And one day our faith will end in sight. And what a thought that is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your holy word and for the instruction and encouragement it gives us. We are grateful today for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, for the peace we have, for the hope we have when our loved ones and our own selves, when we are about to die, knowing that we can die in peace when we know the Savior. We thank you for that comfort. We thank you for the great hope that one day our faith will end in sight and we will see our Christ. We give you thanks. We pray you would make us faithful, keep us faithful, give us strength to bear witness to those who need to know Christ in uh, this, uh, this upcoming year and even during this holiday season. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.